Hi everyone, welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. A new policy from the San Diego County Board of Supervisors will make it easier for tribes to expand their reservations. Lauren J. Mapp has more. Then, Deputy Opinion Editor Chris Reed reflects on a week of news. Now for headlines. Local officials announced Thursday that more than 3 million coronavirus vaccine doses have been administered in San Diego County. But officials caution that more people will need to get shots to slow the spread of the virus and avoid future surges. Local officials hope to fully immunize 75% of residents 16 and up, or around 2 million people. The region is about 60% of the way there, with 1.2 million San Diegans fully vaccinated. The County of San Diego released a $7 billion budget Thursday that increases funding for public safety and health and human services for the next fiscal year starting July 1st. The plan increases spending by $480 million, or 7.3%, over the current year. Behavioral health, sheriff, and public assistance programs account for the biggest expenses. Board of Supervisors Chairman Nathan Fletcher said in a statement that new positions will be added for child welfare services, as well as positions for mental health and substance abuse care in jails. Mexican federal authorities seized illegal marijuana from a tunnel discovered Thursday in a Nueva Tijuana home. The home was located across the border from Otay Mesa in San Diego. Officials said the unfinished tunnel was built for smugglers to bring drugs into San Diego from Mexico. It was being constructed no more than 50 or so feet from a new National Guard base opened last year in Tijuana. The tunnel has ventilation, lighting, rails, and a transportation cart, according to Mexican federal officials. According to U.S. officials, it has no exit on the San Diego side of the border. San Diego County is home to 18 federally recognized indigenous tribes. And for the past two decades, the county has barred the tribes from expanding their reservations. That changed Wednesday when the County Board of Supervisors voted to end their opposition to fee-to-trust applications. That's the process tribes must use to annex property. The board also voted to remove opposition to liquor licenses on tribal lands. Lauren J. Mapp covers indigenous communities at the UT. Lauren, will you give us some background here? What is a fee-to-trust application, and why were they forbidden by the county up until now? So the the fee-to-trust application process is the process through which tribes can purchase land that is connected to their their reservation, um, you know, right next to their reservation land. And then they go through this application process to transfer that from being county land to being part of their reservation so they have sovereignty over it. Uh, what that means for the county is that the county can't collect taxes on on that property. Um, but what it means for the tribes is that they can build housing for um, for people that are tribal members. They can have resources like medical facilities that have to be on tribal lands for them to be able to build them. And uh, they're and then they also can steward the land and um, take care of the the biodiversity that is there. Um, but without having that as part of their sovereign land, it's a lot harder to do a lot of those things. It sounds like under the ban of the past 20 years, tribes were still able to buy land. It was just burdensome to do so. First of all, is that correct? So tribes were still able to purchase land, but they weren't, it was much more difficult to transfer that land into reservation land. And so the, the county had this 
um, policy that was adopted in November 2000, but they had already been doing this for about a decade or half a decade beforehand, where they would automatically oppose any fee to trust application. So by doing that, they take a process which would take could take as little as 24 to 36 months. And it can now take, or with the opposition, it would take up to 12 years to go through that process. And it would also be millions of dollars. I know Saquon, it costs them about $20 million for one parcel of land, the Sloan Canyon, to be transferred from a, a parcel that they own to being part of their reservation. Was it common for tribes to buy land that wouldn't be officially added to reservations? Um, I don't know too much about that exactly, um, but I do know at Saquon, as an example, their original reservation, I think, was about 600 or so acres, and two-thirds of that land was on steep mountainsides, so they couldn't buy it by, or they couldn't build houses on that land, they couldn't develop it for any other kind of business entities, it's just kind of there, and so it was just kind of unusable land that's just, you get to look at it, and that's pretty much it. So it's really been a very new situation that tribes can even afford to buy this land and afford to go through this process. And even here in the county of the 18 tribes and 19 reservations that we have, there's only been about five or so tribes that have been able to even go through this deed of trust process to buy land and, and transfer it in. Um, in some of the cases though, the, the land that tribes are buying is surrounded by other tribal land. And so there's no access to that land from um, for people out in outside communities for the county to go and maintain or anything like it's just surrounded by tribal land. And so the tribe is already doing maintenance on that land, you know, doing, uh, you know, in control of the water supply for, for their, their tribal lands as well. And so this really just kind of formalizes that they're taking care of the land themselves. Yeah, your story said that the opposition to tribal expansion began in the 1990s, but in the year 2000, as you just said, was the year they decided to oppose all fee-to-trust applications. What was it about that year? It was at the time there was a lot of fear that there would be too many casinos being built in, in the backcountry or on these reservations. And so they the board adopted this policy to really put a stop to the expansion of tribal gaming in the region. So this measure was brought by Republican Supervisor Jim Desmond and Democratic Supervisor Nora Vargas. Why was it important to them? So the, the Board of Supervisors has been really working, uh, and the county in general has been really working with the Indigenous communities in San Diego County over the past year, especially with the pandemic, um, making sure there's a coordinated effort to tracking cases and uh, vaccinating populations, um, the tribes and the tribal, um, tribal clinics in the region have, you know, vaccinated thousands of people. Um, and so this is really part of that um, building of trust between governments, between the, the local county government and these sovereign um, tribal governments is to kind of um, get, get rid of this roadblock um, to sovereignty. Um, it doesn't mean that it will be automatically approved um, when a fee to trust application comes through, but it just means that the board will no longer 
refuse to look at these uh, look at these individual applications for their merit. And Republican Supervisor Joel Anderson was the only uh, Board of Supervisors member to vote no. What were his reasons? Um, he told me that his reason, uh, or his his office told me that his reason was because he didn't agree with some of the language that was in the final um, wording for for it. Um, for when there was an amendment that was added last minute, um, and so um, that was related to that. And so the board also voted to remove opposition to liquor licenses on tribal land. Will you tell me more about that? I mean, that was also related to, you know, the decision back in 2000, um, where for the, the casinos, they all have um, bars and restaurants inside of them and need liquor licenses for that. Um, so it's just related to that. So no longer opposing every possible application. So you know, tribes can open up things like there's a brewery up at Rincon, there's, you know, there's bars that are inside of some of these casinos and restaurant uh, restaurants that serve liquor. So it just um, will help to make it a little bit easier for the tribes to go through that process, just like going through the process for any other restaurant or bar that wants to open. Um, they just won't have the additional roadblock of being blocked by the county. So now that tribes are able to um, annex land to officially add to reservations, uh, what do they plan to build on these expansions? So all the tribal leaders that I spoke with um, primarily want to be able to build housing for their tribal members. Uh, right now, some of the tribes don't have any housing on their land at all, um, like the Himalaya Indian Village. Um, they have a casino on their land, um, but there's no housing right now. And so they really would like to have it be possible to bring their relatives um, all back together to live on tribal tribal lands together. Um, a lot of a lot of the people I spoke with, they want the land so that they can properly maintain it, um, do prescribed um, fire um, maintenance on those lands um, to prevent you know major wildfires, and and yeah, um, and there's other you know other business opportunities might come up where they can build businesses that can directly um, benefit the people from their communities. Now let's turn to opinion. Chris Reed is the deputy opinion editor at the UT. Chris, uh, we had a couple editorials this week about decisions made by the County Board of Supervisors. Uh, the first one was about jail phone calls. They are now free, but a new problem has been created. Can you talk a little about that? Well, they put limits on the calls because they expect the volume of calls to strongly increase now that they're no longer charging people such exorbitant prices. And so it's an experiment. And, you know, they may, uh, they may be right that the volume increases so much that it's going to be uh, tough to let people call as long as they used to. But at least they're moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think the limit before was 30 minutes down to 15. I mean, is it expected to create a big problem? Well, if you've got, uh, you know, hundreds of people, uh, many of whom could never afford the phone calls and all of a sudden they're free, it could be a problem. Uh, but we shall see. Uh, but, you know, once again, the, the, you used to have a price disincentive to use the phone. And now there's no obstacles to using the phone. Uh, another policy was Supervisor Jim Desmond wants to, or I guess will, waive uh, restaurant fees. You know, restaurants were obviously hit hard during the pandemic. Um, you know, how is that expected to help? Well, the fees can, uh, they start at like $780 for a small mom and pop shop, which struck me as quite expensive considering how small these places are, but they can sharply escalate. 
But really, anything that helps on the margins is going to be welcomed by restaurants because they have such narrow profit margins, even in the best of times. And so many of them were just you know, ravaged by the pandemic closures. So takeout doesn't work for a lot of places. It works for some, but not a lot. So uh, it's, it's a kind of an every little bit philosophy helps. But I do think it's interesting that many uh, people are saying that outdoor dining was really such a delightful experience that they think that they're going to continue to have the parking lot dining, which is interesting uh, and something I don't think a lot of people expected would last after the pandemic. Do you know if the Board of Supervisors, the city, or otherwise is considering waiving uh, fees for different kinds of businesses other than restaurants? I, I know that this has been discussed about because there's certainly other restaurants that have suffered, but I don't know if there's been any that have suffered as specifically and dramatically as restaurants. When you all of a sudden lose 80% of your business and you're contributing to one quarter of the new unemployed people in the county, uh, it just seems like the obvious need. But they should definitely take a targeted look at different areas where industries have been particularly hard hit because the cost of fees and regulations is is quite severe in California, among the worst burdens in the nation. So anything we can do to help businesses that have been particularly hard hit is a good idea. And speaking of EDD, there's a backlog of over 1 million applications from unemployed Californians waiting to receive benefits. Uh, you know, it's it's been a problem for a while. Uh, we have an editorial this weekend. Uh, Governor Newsom proposed creating a, a, new, a new agency to sort of deal with this backlog. But what did they settle on and how will this problem be addressed? Uh, yes, rather incredibly, he responded to the problem by saying, let's create a new agency, not let's fix the old agency. The problems are threefold on this issue. The first is it's been more than a year and the problem still exists and has actually gotten a little worse over the last two months, which is amazing. More than a million people with unresolved uh, unresolved requests for benefits. But they also paid out up to $31 billion to people who didn't deserve it, including to thousands and thousands of prison inmates. So it's they, they've both done a terrible job helping those who need help and a terrible job identifying those who are trying to grift the system. And on top of it all, the state is sitting on a huge surplus. It could have easily hired temporary staff to help cut that backlog down. But instead, Newsom went in a bizarre different direction and said, no, let's just set up a new bureaucracy. Really a strange scandal. Do you know where it stands, uh, you know, trying to sort out the fraud and I guess get some get some money back or what are, what are they doing? Well, they're trying to recover as much money as they can, but it looks like the money that went to people overseas, rather incredibly, we're sending unemployment benefits to people overseas, is going to be awfully tough to recover. It may be easier to recover the money from prisoners, given that the fact that they're in prison and probably don't have like extensive access to Bitcoin or to exotic places to stash their money. And finally, uh, Scripps suffered a ransomware cyber attack. I think from what we know, they're, they're still you know under attack. Um, they haven't resolved it, at least. What is the, the lesson here? Well, the lesson is really that uh, all these different businesses, all businesses, really, and all individuals who do business with these businesses are threatened by this. Uh, ransomware attacks have soared in recent years, and they go after everything from uh, medical records to police departments to government agencies. The Washington Police Department was hacked a few weeks ago, rather incredibly. And so we're used to thinking of cyber attacks as being this grand scale U.S. versus Russia spy versus spy thing. And it very much is. And that's very, very scary. But just the fact is, as the world gets more interconnected, everybody's computer networks are vulnerable and there doesn't seem to be a sufficient appreciation of this risk. Soft targets, as they're known, like power plants and water plants. There's lots of evidence that both the U.S. and Russia have already begun gathering lists of spots in the others that they can exploit if tensions grow. It's a scary time. 
You can find these stories online at SanDiegoUnionTribune.com. I'm Christy Totten, host of the San Diego News Fix. See you next week.